We love the kids. Well done. Well, you know I'm... Um, go ahead and restart. You know, I have this habit, um, whether it's the sermon topic or not, I always make a quick pass drive-through through Proverbs. Today being the third, I picked verses three and four. Check this out. Don't ever forget kindness and truth. Then you'll be respected and will please both God and people. That's a good one. They're all good ones. So there were these three kings who um, were afraid that their soldiers were going to die of thirst. And so they hoped that they could get their hands on this mystery miracle worker guy. And uh, instead of getting a promise of rain from Elisha, he told them that they would go out there and start digging some dishes, di- ditches. And so today is the second week in a series, a study that we're doing on the Old Testament prophet of Elisha. If you missed last, work, last week, we, um, we talked about burning plows. We talked about if there's something in your life, sometimes you have to burn your bridges and burn your plows and, uh, and um, leave behind anything that's going to keep you from following God and moving ahead. Today I want to talk about digging ditches, which is a whole different thing. And I'm asking that God is going to build our faith, not just for you personally, but our, our faith as a church family, um, because I really think that, um, that the Lord is up to something wild around here up to something wonderful and loving, and it's going to be grander than I think we think. And, and the reason I want the Lord is to, to build our faith is because Scripture tells us in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you know that? You can obey every, every command. If it was possible to do and you didn't have any faith, you wouldn't please God. It's kind of crazy. Um, but without faith, it's impossible. So I'm wondering how many of you have ever played the what-if game? The what, what if game, you know, that's where you think if only such and such would happen, my life would be better. Can I see your hands? Anybody ever think that? Come on, everybody. Okay. I mean, everybody thinks that game, right? right? Occasionally, if only I had a better job, if only I had more money, if only I had more hair, <laughs> you know, if, if God would just answer this one prayer and give me a husband or give me a husband with hair or give me a husband with hair who looked like Brad Pitt. I don't know what your what if would be like, but I think throughout our life, we tend to look at our circumstances and we tend to think if only, and then we fill in the blank. We say, if only that would happen, my life would be better. Today, I want, as, as, as we talk, I would encourage you to consider your greatest need, what you think is... The, your greatest need in life, and use that as a lens to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying today through, through this scripture. And it's my prayer that the Lord's going to minister to you in a very, very special way to build your faith today. Um, okay, so our context is here is we've got these, these three kings who have joined forces to go up against this group of people called the Moabites. And they were thinking, okay, there's three of us, one of them, we've got them outnumbered, this is going to be an easy deal, um, <clears throat> but often... In life, things don't quite go as easily as we have them planned. Have you noticed that? They just don't go quite as easy. Instead of an easy win, these guys go out and they march around for seven days in the desert. And then they realize that they're totally out of water. They're in trouble. And they're thinking, oh, we're, we're going to die of thirst. Our animals are going to die of thirst. And they, and they have a really, really significant need. And their, their story here is going to lead us to a very important principle. And I think this will be good news to some of us, maybe to all of us. And that's this. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need actually becomes a blessing 
when it drives you to depend on God. So let's jump into the scriptures here in our text today is in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 and 12. So let's, let's go there, starting in verse 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. Okay, they're in trouble now. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? In other words, you know, we thought we were going to win this easily, but instead, you know, we could all die out here because this is not coming together like we thought. Verse 11, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to go pour water on the hands of Elijah. If you missed last week, Elijah <clears throat> mentored Elisha. He was, the, he was before Elisha. And, uh, for example, when there was a time when the nation was in this horrendous drought, and uh, being an agrarian culture, water was death to everything. They didn't have water. They were in huge trouble. And, and Elijah called on God, and he prayed for rain when the cloud, there was only a cloud the size of a hand. And from that cloud, it grew, and it provided the storm of all storms, and they had all kinds of water. So they're thinking, hey, maybe if Elijah did that, now his protege, Elisha, maybe he can do something for us, so let's go find him. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So now we got these three kings. Um, who go to battle against the Moabites, and they think they're going to win easily, but instead they find themselves in this huge danger. And what you might not know is that these three kings were not serving God. They had not been seeking after God. And all of a sudden they're in trouble, and they do what a lot of us do when that happens. Hey, God, we're in trouble. Can you help us out? But a lot of people do that. Have you noticed that? And they had probably heard about some of the, the miracles that Elisha had already done in his rookie year. He's been, a, you know, he's a rookie, rookie prophet at this point, and he's done some pretty amazing things. He stopped the water and split the water in the Jordan River. There was a spring that was poisonous. People, if you drank it, it would kill you. And he prayed for the spring, and, and Scripture actually uses the word healed. He healed the water, and it became fresh and useful and watered crops and, and so forth. And then there was this other one, and I, <clears throat> this is a curious miracle. Um... I'm not, I never know quite what to make of this one, but he was walking along and a bunch of young, it says young boys. It was a gang, um, at least 42, maybe more. And they started taunting him. Hey, baldy, baldy, baldy. They were making fun of him because he didn't have hair. You knew that because I said baldy, right? Yeah. And so smart. Yeah. <laughs> and he loses his cool and he prays and these bears come out and maul 42 of these boys. The moral of that story is don't ever make fun of a bald person because you never know <coughs> what kind of faith a bald guy has. There's a bald guy back here, but that's by choice because I know him and he uses a razor. Um, <coughs> but you never know what kind of faith a bald guy has, so don't ever make fun of a bald guy, right? Okay. Anyway, he had done these miracles and these kings had heard about it and they're thinking, hey, this guy can, you know, maybe he can help, help us out. So um, the kings say to him, hey, Elisha, can you... Help us out. What does he do? He cops attitude. This guy starts, starts strutting, and he says, okay, I get it, boys. You know? He says, you ignore God. You don't want to be friends with God because you think at some point, if you're going to be friends with God, if you're going to have a relationship with God, it's going to cost you something, and you're not willing to give something up. But now you're in trouble 
and you kind of expect him to show up and be your friend. So he cops this attitude, right? And, and you may wonder where, you know, he's supposed to be a man of God. He's not supposed to be like that. Where does he get this attitude from? Well, he learned it from his mentor. He learned it from Elijah. Elijah had an attitude at times. You notice that? I mean, there's a story where, I love this story, where Elijah challenges these 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, hey, my God will actually hear and do things. Your God doesn't really exist. Let's have a contest. It's him against 450. And the contest was they were going to call fire down on these bulls as a sacrifice. And you go first. So the 450 go first, and they get their bulls out, and, and they do all these things. They're doing, they're praying, they're, they're wailing, and they're crying, and they're cutting themselves and doing all these things. And Elijah starts taunting them after all this is going on, and nothing's happening. And um, he starts saying the things to him. He says, hey, maybe you should shout louder because maybe your God's going deaf. Maybe you should shout louder because he's on vacation. And then he says, maybe you need to shout louder because he's, I'm paraphrasing here, he's on the toilet. The Bible really says that. It doesn't say the word toilet, but that's what the Bible says. I mean, that's attitude. You got to like his swagger. It's him against 450 and he's, you know, He's calling down smack on these guys, and, um, and <laughs> I got an attitude sometimes, so I kind of, this is like a hero to me. Hey, I'm supposed to have an attitude. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Elijah says, oh yeah, you, you, you don't have any relationship, but now you want to be friends with you because you have a need, but you don't want to be his friend any other time. So Elijah gets this attitude, and, and here's, what he, here's what he does, starting in verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? You guys have been ignoring God all this time. What do you want to involve me for? He says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Okay, now he's done it. Your mama, he says to him. (laughs) That's what he's saying here. He is. He's saying, go to the prophet of your mother. Hey, maybe she can help you out. (laughs) Your mama's a prophet, right? You know, he's, he brought mama into it. Now that's them's fighting words. But no, he says, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, catch that? Whom I serve. You guys don't serve him, but I serve him. He's, he's, he's pouring it on here. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. He's saying, even though Jehoshaphat isn't serving God right now. There was a time in his life when he feared God. So because of that, I'm listening to you guys. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be talking. And uh, so then he goes on, he says in verse 15, he makes this demand. He says, but now bring me a harpist. If you want me to prophesy, I need some mood music, okay? (laughs) And I don't have my iPod here. So go get me the biggest, most difficult instrument to move and get me, you know, someone who knows how to play this thing because I want some mood music if I'm going to prophesy for you. And the reality, okay, so the reality is that, you know, getting the music going wasn't really that unusual. It was a common practice for them, kind of like it still is today. You know, there, it is today. I mean, it, it, there's something that uh, special happens in your heart when um, you worship God through music. It's just a fact. Scripture says the Lord inhabits, inhabits the praises of his people. And uh, something special happens when we allow our hearts to drift in reverence and attitude and adoration of God. Something special happens there. 
And you know, for me, when I'm working on preparing a message, I, I like music going in the background, but I always have to make sure it's worshipful music. So it's usually worship music with no words because I get distracted. I, gotta, I like all kinds of music. I listen to mostly country music and other wild kinds of music. I can't do any of that stuff while I'm preparing the sermon because it distracts me too much. But worshipful w- music brings me somehow into the presence of the Lord, and I get what's going on here. And sometimes, as you know, if Terry, if I want to pray about something big, if I, if I want to have my heart ministered to because I'm concerned about something, there's something about worship music playing in the background that helps me kind of somehow connect to God. Okay, so he says, you know, get me a, get me a heart. Let's get some music here. So the, the, the three kings start thinking, okay, if we do this, he's going to encourage us. He's going to you know, tell us that God's going to send us some rain. And does he do that? No, he gives them this weird commandment in verse 15 and 16. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. <laughs> they got to be, you know, what? You know, like your dog, what? They got to be like, we thought you were going to make it rain. Hold up here. You, you're telling us we're to tell our, our soldiers who are thirsty and parched. They're supposed to do manual labor in the desert sun. I, we ask for water, and you say go make them get thirstier. Um, yep. <laughs> the guy with the attitude, yep, that's dig some ditches. There's no sign of rain anywhere. We're in a severe drought. You want us to, yep, dig some ditches. And we're going to see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend more on God. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Oh, good news. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. In other words, you guys really underestimate how powerful, how strong, how mighty our God is. This is easy in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, that other thing that you wanted, but you, you know, saying that he's going to also deliver Moab into your hands. But first, I want you to dig some ditches. But first, dig some ditches. What I want to do with the rest of our time today is I want to apply this, this directly to our lives because here we're talking about the topic of faith that works. Faith that actually works in our lives. And there's a play on words there when I say, you know, faith that works, because, you know, you know what a play on words is, right? So I, here's a play on words for you. I was, I was trying to study and working on this, and I got involved in this three-way text thing going on between me and two other leaders in the church. You know what a three-way text is, right? Okay. And so, you know, the, the backstory is here is that one of these leaders this last week had a challenging week. Um, physically, he was without warning, all of a sudden in pain, thought maybe he had appendicitis, went to the doctor, and they said, no, it looks like it's going to be a kidney stone. And so he labored his way through um, producing a kidney stone in the doctor's office, went home, spent a couple of days, and produced a second one. And uh, these texts are going back and forth for a couple of days. And finally, um, he says, hey, um, I had these kidney stones. Well, your worship leader, Pastor Eric, says to him, hey, congratulations on your new birth, your new child. (laughs) And wanting to get into the spirit of it and loving the word plays, I said, yeah, I think, I, I love Eric's comment. You should name it Eric Peabody. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the sermon, I want you to know. 
Yeah, that's, that's gross. I told them, stop it, because if you keep this up, I'm going to use this as a sermon illustration, and they kept it up. So I'm a man of my word. Way to go, Eric Peabody. Um, I think the second one was named Erica Peabody, their brother and sister. So anyway, it's not mine to name these children. So we're talking here about, trying to talk here about faith that works. I'm talking about faith that is effective. In other words, faith that moves the heart of God so that, that it invokes some sort of response from God, faith that works. But at the same time, I'm talking about faith that's effective. I'm talking about faith that does something, faith that is active. Faith that so believes God is going to act that faith does something too. It steps towards God as he steps towards us. So I want to show you today two principles of faith that work. Um, the first one is this. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Maybe God chooses to wait until your heart has made a place to contain the very miracle you're asking for. And he's wanting you to make a place. And that place could be called genuine faith because you are the only person who has the ability to create that place in your heart that will allow the miracle. Possibility. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Here's what James says in uh, chapter 2, verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants to see your faith. He wants you to dig a ditch. Now, do you really believe that the God creator of the universe really needed to have these soldiers create the containers that dig the ditches. And the, do you think he needed them to do that manual labor or he couldn't do the miracle? I mean, obviously no. I mean, there's, this has nothing to do. He could have just said ditches and they would, you know, he said, light be, stars be, heaven and earth. He, he did not need them to actually physically dig the ditches. But it's, it's if, as if he's actually saying, you know, you show me your faith and then I'm going to show you my faithfulness. Because God loves to see our faith. He, he, I think beyond him loving to see our faith, he loves us to see our own faith at work sometimes. And you'll see this all over in the scriptures in the New Testament time and again. You'll see where there's a phrase where it says, um, when Jesus saw their faith, you'll see that phrase. I mean, how do you think they saw their faith? Do they think they looked at someone there was actually like smoke coming out of their temples? Oh, that's faith smoke, you know? No, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that there was some mystical thing he actually saw their faith in action. He could see their faith by the things that they did. When Peter was out in the boat, and he, he sees Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, he, Jesus is walking on the water. If that's you, call me to come because I'd like to do that too. And so um, he says, come on. So he gets out of the boat. He steps out of the boat. You see his faith in action. The other guys, you didn't see their faith. One got out of the boat you saw his faith. You didn't see the faith of the other ones. And I think there are many times when God wants to see us participate in his miracle. It's still his miracle, but he wants us to participate. Um, there was a guy that Jesus encountered who had a withered hand, and Jesus said to the guy, stretch out your hand. You know, it was a withered hand. Stretch out your hand. In other words, I already know what's going on here, but... I want to see you believe this. He could have just healed the guy, but he says, no, I want to see you 
stretch out your hand. Another guy who couldn't walk for his whole life, Jesus says, you know, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to get you up. I'm not picking you up. You stand up and walk. And I don't think it was because he was being stingy. He just wanted to see this guy's faith. He wanted to see if this guy had the faith to believe that what Jesus was telling him was true. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. You show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness, because without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six. I think there are too many people just waiting for God to show them his faithfulness. You know, but they're not showing God any faith. You need to take a step. If that's you, that's, you just need to take a step of faith at some point. You know, if, 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 if you want to quit smoking, maybe your step of faith is on the way out of church today, you take your cigarettes out and you throw them in the garbage can on the way out the door. And you say, okay, there's some faith, God. I got rid of those things. I need you to do something now. I mean, you want to heal a relationship that's gone bad? Maybe you need to forgive someone before they've even asked for forgiveness. Maybe you need to show love to someone who is only thing they ever do is be ugly towards you. A step of faith. Those are digging ditches. You know, you make a place in your own heart for his faithfulness to get displayed. You don't know when. You don't know how he's going to do it. But you know and trust that your God loves you and is true to what his character says. Some way, somehow, in his timing, in his perfect place, he'll bring there, he'll be there with the miracle. That's digging a ditch. And your actions declare your faith. He'll show up. I know people, you know, and maybe you do too, that they, they say, you know, I want my kids to serve Jesus. I want my kids to be strong Christians. But they don't ever take time to open up the Bible and read the Bible to their kids in their own home. They never pray with their kids. You know, do you want some water? Dig a ditch. Be a godly parent. Do something. I, I hear people say, you know, I, I, I would like to have more money, <laughs> you know, and they're outwardly Christian all the time, yet they will not tithe. And I spent time talking to them. I'm going to make this into a tithe message, but, you know, God gives us this outrageous principle. It's, you know, it's completely, totally absurd in every way when we think it through in our mind. He gives us this outrageous principle, and that is that if we give him our first and our best, he will bless the rest. And, you know, those of you who are tithers, you know the supernatural of God in this process where you know, 90% with his blessing is actually a lot more money than 100% without his blessing that's cursed. It just is. And when you do that, what do you do? You're digging a ditch. You're pro- providing a place for God to fill in, and he always fills in, not to the, to the limit, but overflowing. And when you need more, your faith needs to step out and take action. And you, you, know, you, you give to God and he proves himself faithful. Sometimes you just have to dig a ditch because he can send the water. I mean, I know, I, I, I know, I know single young men and they say, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a wife. I want a godly wife. And they're sitting on their tail at home and, and they're waiting for some smoking babe to knock on the door and say, hey, hey, you big stud, take me to church or lose me forever. You know? And God's saying, hey, Brush your teeth. <laughs> Iron a shirt. Sell your Xbox. Move out of your mother's garage. Get a full-time job. Ask somebody out. Buy some flowers. Get involved in your church. And, 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 and you know, only God can bring the babe, but you have to brush your own teeth. 
Sometimes God wants to bring the water, but you need to dig a ditch. The second principle is this. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Willing to start small. I know a lot of Christians that are just afraid to, to think big, to believe big. And we serve a God who is, can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask, more than you can think, more than you can imagine. And it's time to think big because we serve a, a, a big God. I, just, I know just as many who think big, but they're just not willing to start small. You know, how do you dig a ditch? Unless you own a backhoe, you do it one little shovel load at a time. You start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Sometimes you just have to start small. And there may be some of you who've got a big vision and you're wondering, how do I start? And the answer is you just start small. You start with what's in front of you, with the resources at your hand. You start small. I've got a friend. Um, Many of you might know her, um, and uh, I love her faith. Her, her first name is Ronnie, and uh, she started this quest of small steps a number of years ago to try to find the truth out about her past. She, she was adopted um, from India, and um, she started taking, this is a number of years ago, she started taking some very, very small steps to find out the truth about her childhood, and Although each little step made her stronger, it started to open up this ugly truth about human trafficking that nobody wants to find out about their childhood. And there were some scary steps. I mean, we met with her, Lisa, and I talked with her lots of time and, and praying about the next step, and they were scary. And, but she kept taking small steps small steps in faith and those small beginnings led from one thing to another I mean maybe you don't know her but this was her faith in action she was digging these little ditches as she went and you know we ended up seeing her as a guest on network television shows you know you, maybe you know her story today you know at this point in her life she has been the United States representative to diplomatic events for the United States State Department in Europe and other places around the world talking on the topic. And all of this was from a baby who was adopted here from India, adopted by an elderly single woman in little old Olympia, Washington. I remember praying because this lady in the church, this elderly lady was going to adopt this baby and we were praying for this baby that was going to come from India. It was amazing. How do you do something big? You start small. You just start small. I encourage you to think big, but be willing to start small because only God can send the water, but he wants you to dig the ditch. You say, God, I, I believe you can, and then you just start right there. 2 Kings 3.20, so we finish the story. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, after they faithfully dug these ditches, Water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. You can read on if you want to find out the wonderful miracle and the way the Lord used that. But some of you right now, you may be, maybe you've got some sort of significant need in your life. And you're thinking, if only, 
if only God would, and you fill in the blank. If only God would meet that need. If, if only God would answer that prayer. I want to remind you, just before we pray, that Elisha teaches us that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend more on God. He can send the water, but he needs you to dig a ditch. And then real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I want to pray for a church full of people who I want to see you rise up to be people who believe big and you're willing to start small. And I don't know what that means. I'm thinking about, you know, in a month or so, we're going to give food to people in our community who need food at Christmas time. And most of those people won't speak English. That's been what it's been the last few years. And um, I'd love to see us make a big difference for people who have a huge need. I don't know. We're going to take some more small steps and we're going to minister to people who need. But I just want to pray for you that way. And and, um, I want to pray that also, this isn't just a corporate prayer, but I want to pray that the Lord does that for you in your life. The big things that the Lord is speaking to you. So would you close your eyes and just um, let's um, bring this to the Lord. Father, I pray that you would build the faith of this church corporately and individually. I, I pray, Lord, that we would be different because we're in your presence today. Keep your eyes closed, please. Um, and I just want to ask two private questions. This isn't for me or for somebody else. This is between you and God. But the first question is, But how many of you would, at this moment in your life, you're facing some significant need and you need prayer today? Eyes are closed. No one's going to see this. Would you just put your hand up if you have a prayer need? This is a very small ditch to dig where you put your hand in the air. That's, that's all it is. Okay, and you put your hands back down. How many of you either at this point in your life or whenever you might face a need, you want the faith to do something outrageous if God would just lead you to do it? You want, you want to have the faith to dig the ditch um, if God's calling you to do that even long before he starts to show you what he promises he's going to do. You you want God to increase your faith to the level, let's call it outrageous, where when he calls you to do it, you will show your faith before he shows you his faithfulness. You know, eyes are closed. I'm hoping everybody raises their hand on this, but if this is you, you'd like the Lord to enlarge your faith. Put your hand up and just show him. Just up and down. Nobody's looking. You don't need to see it. God, I, I just pray for those who are saying today, I want that kind of faith to honor you, Lord. Um, I just pray, so be it, God. So be it. You see the faith of, of the people that are willing to take these small steps. Lord, I pray that you will find ways to do that for people who are willing to believe big and to start small. I pray, Lord, that you would honor these first steps. Your word promises us a couple of things. It says you order the steps of the righteous. And it also says the effectual fervent prayer of one and right standing with you avails much. So Lord, your kids here have come to you and said, Lord, help us grow our faith. I want to thank you, Lord, for doing that. While we're praying, I just want to pause also for a moment for people who might be here who, this sounds encouraging, but you really don't have relationship with God. And uh, Christians, I need you praying right now. You know what's going on. But there are people who don't have relationship with God and you don't know for certain when you die whether you'll be in heaven or hell. Two really very real places. The scriptures teach that no one is good enough to get to heaven because of how they live. There's only one person who's ever done that and it was Jesus. Scripture teaches that we all fall short of God's, God's glory. Everybody, me, you, all of us. 
the person in front of you, the person to your left, your mom, your dad, everybody falls short. Well, what do we do if we can't get there? God loves you so much. Scripture says that he sent his only son, his only son to pay the price, the awful price of our sin. And what, what do you have to do to take him up on the offer? You have to receive the gift. The word says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Confessing with your mouth doesn't mean you stand up in front and tell people, I'm a sinner. It means you acknowledge and you tell someone, I've opened my heart to the Lord. And you can do that right now privately, just between you and me and God. I'm going to look across the room, and if you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, just let me just disagree with you. That's it. I'm not going to embarrass you in any other way. God bless you. God bless you. Any other hands? I don't want to miss anybody else. God bless you too. You're saved. Scripture says your choice and your faith in the faithful Jesus has caused your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. When that day comes and you leave this, this earth, you'll be in heaven. Anybody else I don't want to miss? Thank you, Lord. God bless you too. God bless you too. Lord, thank you, God, for these hearts that have opened to you. Thank you for writing their name in that book. Lord, I pray now that you would put into their pathway people that will help their faith to grow, their relationship with you to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just stand.